as the children are leaving. If you were here for Lawrence's funeral, you remember me telling the story about how he said early on how much he loved to hear the pages of our Bibles flipping during the service. So I think it's appropriate that we get into the Word right now, and I will invite you to open your Bibles and flip those pages and find the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. As you're finding your way to Acts chapter 2, I'd like us to pray together and ask for God's help to receive his word this morning. Let's pray. Father, you've already been so good and sweet to us during this service. It's been so good to lift our voices together and praising you and to give of our resources as just a physical way of expressing our devotion to you and your people around the world. And to remember our brother Lawrence together, it's just been such a good morning already. And now we come to the, the peak of it all. We open your word and we listen together. And I just ask that you would help us to receive it. Just give us soft hearts and that your Holy Spirit would fill us and enable us to understand it and to be transformed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we enter into the text of Acts, and it'll start in chapter 2, I wonder if you have, like me, sensed powerful darkness in our culture, in our society. You don't always notice it, you're going about your busy lives, but sometimes it hits you, and you realize there is a powerful darkness at work in our world. It is real, and it's powerful. For me, often it comes this way. I, I used to be a real movie person. Uh, I loved watching movies. I knew everything about movies, all the directors, all the actors and actresses and writers, and I was really pretty nerdy about it. Saw everything that came out. Well, I really, because of how, how sensitive my heart and conscience have become to the content in these movies, I've really backed away, and I don't really watch hardly any movies anymore. But I still maintain a, a little bit of an interest. And this week, I I saw something on, I think it was on my Facebook feed or something about a movie coming out, and I just saw the slightest little bit of the trailer without even the audio, and it was so dark and so disturbing, and it just brought this reminder to me again that there is powerful evil and darkness in this world, that that the human imagination could come up with what I saw on that screen and get that many people to buy into it, to finance it and act in it and produce it and distribute it, is just really disturbing to me. And I knew I was going to make that point opening the service this morning, and so I pulled up uh, Reuters News on my phone to see maybe if there's some, something going on in the world I can refer to. And of course, it was within the first couple of headlines. More examples of the darkness and evil in our world. It was a story about a, a, a Nigerian migrant in Italy who was just arrested in suspicion of a brutal murder of a young Italian woman. And then, after that, an Italian man who drove the streets just at random shooting any black person he saw that he suspected of being a Nigerian migrant. There's another example. We see it all over the place in our news. More allegations coming out of Hollywood of, of assault of the most horrible kind. And we think about that as Christians, and we have to ask ourselves In the face of all this powerful darkness around us, is there any real power in the church? 
Is there any real power in the church to contend with these forces of darkness all around us? And not just out there, but also in here, in us. You know, even we as church-going people struggle with heavy anxiety or depression or loneliness or loss or apathy and unbelief toward God's Word and sin that entangles itself in our own hearts and our own lives, even as Christians. And again, we have to ask ourselves, is there, really, is there any real power in the church to contend with all this darkness? Now, of course, you know what the answer to that is. It's a resounding yes in God's Word from front to back. We see that, yes, there is a real power that overcomes all darkness. And as you study the book of Acts, as we have, it becomes increasingly evident that the Holy Spirit is at work in us. And we do have divine power within us as Christians and in us as the church that is more powerful than all the darkness around the world. So we've been looking at these shaping themes in Acts, and we've seen how Jesus' resurrection emboldened the early church and the apostles, how Jesus' authority divinely directed the early church and the apostles, and how the Holy Spirit empowered the apostles to do the ministry God had called them to. This Sunday, we're going to continue thinking about the Holy Spirit. And what we're going to see this Sunday is that the Holy Spirit is for all of God's people, not just the super-duper saints, but for all of God's people. The Holy Spirit is God's power among us to be his people and to do his will, and it's for all of us, each and every single one of us. So the first thing I want to point out to you in the book of Acts is that in this book of the history of the origin of the church, we see that the Holy Spirit is for all of God's people. And I want to just breeze through five different groups of people who received the Holy Spirit to illustrate that point. First, we see the apostles receive the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So that's the apostles, and there's a group of about 120 believers. And they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. That's crazy sounding. Can you imagine if that happened right now while we were sitting in here? You can just picture people talking to these disciples afterward and saying, what happened to you? Well, it's hard to explain. I can't even really tell you. I can tell you what it was like. There was a sound. It was a sound like rushing wind. If you've ever heard wind rushing through trees, rushing past your ears, your kids stick your head out of the window, and it was a sound like that. And we saw something, and it was like, and this is going to sound crazy, but it was like divided tongues of fire were resting on each of us. It was bizarre, but we saw something, we heard something. But more importantly, we knew something had happened in verse 4, and they were all all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, later on, we see what that means, other tongues. They were enabled to proclaim the gospel in languages that were foreign to them, languages they didn't even know. They were able to proclaim the gospel, and people from all over the world were understanding it in their own language. But the point for our purposes is that word all. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, not just the 11 disciples now apostles, sent ones, but all 120 of them, 
filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, a little bit further on, because of this filling of the Holy Spirit, Peter is preaching a sermon to the Jews who are in Jerusalem. And he says this, starting in verse 17 of Acts chapter 2. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. So here, Peter is preaching to these Jewish people, and he's referring back to an ancient Jewish prophecy from the book of Joel. And there was a promise that God would pour out his Spirit on all flesh, not just the super special ones, all flesh. And he goes on, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. See, in the old covenant, it was people like the prophets and the priests and the kings those anointed especially for special service for God who we see described that they received the Holy Spirit, anything like this. But in the new covenant that would come through Jesus, everybody would get it. Everybody would receive the Holy Spirit. And he uses the word even there. Even my male and female servants will be filled with the Holy Spirit and will prophesy, in other words, speak what God wants them to speak. This was revolutionary. Everybody equally receiving the Holy Spirit. So that's when the apostles received the Holy Spirit. Now we'll go forward to a passage and see the Jews receiving the Holy Spirit. At the end of Peter's sermon, the people who heard him, the Jews in Jerusalem, respond in verse 37 of Acts chapter 2. It says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You, all you Jewish people from around the world who are here, you too will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that is enabling me right now to preach these words to you. For the promise is for you and for your children And for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So the Holy Spirit was for those Jewish people too, and even their children, the next generation. The Holy Spirit would be for them as well. And people far off, and anybody and everybody that the Lord would call to himself. The third group I want to highlight are the Samaritans. This is in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 14. The Samaritans were despised by the religious Jewish people because they were, in their eyes, half-breed people. They were the result of Jews who sinfully intermarried with Gentiles. And Jews weren't supposed to do that back then. But some of them did, and the Samaritans were the resulting people. And so the, the pure and holy Jews looked down on the Samaritans as impure, unclean, half-breed people. But we read in Acts chapter 8, verse 14, after the gospel reaches the Samaritans through the apostles, it says, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. 
So here, even the Samaritans, this would have been unthinkable to the most religious Jews, that the Samaritans would be filled with the Spirit of God. Another group, in Acts chapter 10, beginning at verse 44, this time is just Gentiles. So you had the Jewish people, and you had the Gentile people. The Jewish people throughout the Old Covenant were God's special chosen people, made clean and holy, through God's mercy and grace, through the sacrificial system and his special revelation to them. And then you had the Gentile people, which was everybody else. Unclean, impure, unholy, idolatrous people who did not worship the one true God. And the Jews assumed they would always be that way. But here we see in Acts chapter 10, verse 44, the gospel reaches the Gentiles. And look what happens. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. So the religious Jews would have never thought the Samaritans would receive the Holy Spirit, but any Jew would have found it hard to believe that any Gentiles would have received the Holy Spirit. And yet here it's happening. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. And Peter declared... Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? A little bit later, Peter has to explain himself to some of the first Jewish Christians because they were not too certain about including these Gentiles in the body of Christ. And here's how he explains it in Acts chapter 11, beginning at verse 15. He says, As I began to speak to those Gentiles, The Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us in the beginning, in the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. The apostles, the Jews, the Samaritans, the Gentiles, one last group, the Ephesians. And this is in Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. So you can see a progression. The apostles, the ones who walked closely with Jesus on earth, and then the Jews that they first preached to, those from God's historic people that were first reached with the gospel. Then the Samaritans, who were the half-breed between the Jews and the Gentiles. And then the Gentiles themselves. And now Gentiles in Ephesus. And this was a whole new center for ministry to the world. Purely Gentile now. In Acts chapter 19, beginning at verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos, uh, an up-and-coming Christian teacher in the early church, was at Corinth... Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. 
They were about 12 men in all. Now, it doesn't follow any particular formula, and the way they received the Spirit varied, but you see, sure as can be, all of God's people in the New Covenant being brought in through the gospel received the Holy Spirit. In Acts, the Holy Spirit is for all of God's people. Now, I just want to briefly mention that in the epistles, we see that the Holy Spirit is for all of God's people as well. We won't read all these passages, but you can jot them down if you want to look at them later. In Romans 8, Paul tells the church in Rome to set their mind on the things of the Spirit, not on the things of the flesh, because they have the Holy Spirit now. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul teaches the Christians in Corinth that spiritual things can only be discerned by spiritual people, meaning people who have the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul explains to the Christians in Corinth that because you all have the Holy Spirit, you all are gifted to serve in the body of Christ supernaturally through the Holy Spirit. And it's this Holy Spirit that unites us. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul chides the Christians in Galatia saying, You know that you became Christians through the power of the Spirit. Now why are you trying to continue on as Christians in the power of the flesh instead of the power of the Holy Spirit? So you see through the epistles it's just assumed Christians have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is for all of God's people. Now in present day church, This means that the Holy Spirit is for all of God's people still. The Holy Spirit is for all of us. Now, you might think that Holy Spirit-inspired and empowered ministry is for the Billy Graham-level Christian. But that's not true, and it's not biblical. The same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus Christ's ministry on earth, and the prophets, priests, and kings of the Old Covenant, and the apostles that we read about in Acts, indwells you if you are a Christian and me. That same divine power resides in us. Now, there is a lot of darkness out there and in here, and there's a lot of evil power in the world, but there's power in the church too. And it's a surpassing power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit through whom God enables us to be his people and obey his will. I like how many times those passages in Acts use the word even. Even my servants. Even the Gentiles. And I feel like I fit in that category. Even me. Even Matt Broadway has the Holy Spirit. Even you. Whatever your role in the body of Christ may be. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've turned from your sins and received forgiveness and new life in him. Even we have the Holy Spirit. So the question for us in application to this, will we operate out of the flesh? Now, that's a biblical concept that could use more explaining than I have time for, but that's just all of me that has not been renewed through the Holy Spirit. Will we operate in the flesh or will we operate in the Spirit? That's the key contrast to the New Testament. Will we walk in the flesh or will we walk in the Spirit? Will we set our mind on the things of the flesh or will we set our minds on the thing of the Spirit? Will we operate, operate by our own power, our own ingenuity, our own ideas, our own strength, our own creativity? Or will we operate by the power of God through the Holy Spirit, His initiative, 
his enabling grace. It's a difference that decides everything. It's the difference between a path that leads to disunity and a path that leads to unity. Now, our church knows about disunity all too well, those who've been here for a long time. A little over 10 years ago, the church fractured and split right in two. Now, I wasn't here, but I would have a very hard time believing that that happened because a lot of people were walking in the Spirit and setting their mind on the things of the Spirit. Disunity and disruption in the church only comes when we walk according to the flesh and set our mind on the things of the flesh. In the Spirit, there's supernatural unity that surpasses not even just the Christians here in our church, but Christians beyond just our church. Now, I don't want to test your patience. I know we're going a bit over, but I want to share with you a taste of this unity that I've got this morning that was really encouraging to me. Last night, struggling, praying through my sermon, not feeling clarity and conviction, not feeling prepared, I texted the pastoral support team and said, appreciate y'all's prayers. I'm just, just not there yet in the Saturday night. And they got text back there praying for me. Uh, in at the church this morning around 6, which is great. I love getting here early to pray through things. And felt the Lord answering their prayers, really. I felt like it was becoming clear. And I received a text just out of the blue from Rick Whittier. And Rick's the pastor of Arlington Baptist Church. I haven't talked to Rick in months and months. And he just texted and said, hey, I'm praying for you and your people this morning. May God bless you and your ministry this morning. I was like, man, wow, Rick, that is so timely. Because, you know, just last night I was asking for prayer. And he said, well, a pastor friend of mine from another church texted me that he was praying for me this morning. And it prompted me to pray for all the pastors that I know in the area and all the churches in the area. And just text them and let them know. I was like, gosh, that's awesome. And, and I felt the same I don't know if you have felt when you feel the Spirit stirring in you to do something. I felt that same stirring to pray for all the pastors I know and the churches around and sent them similar texts and got one back from Roger Barker of The Rock, the Advent Christian Church in Concourse, saying, man, thank you. I've been up since 3.30 this morning feeling like the Lord was giving me a message from my people, and I've just been praying through it and struggling with it, and this is just such a, a confirmation that the Spirit is at work here. And Got texts back from other pastors. They're praying for us too. We're praying for them. It was this beautiful picture of God's work beyond the walls of Doolin's Grove and the Spirit raising up this sort of wave of pastors praying for pastors that nobody like sat down and came up with the, we'll call it Pastors for Pastors, (laughs) super powerful prayer explosion. It'll be the best program ever. We're going to get pastors praying for pastors. No, the Spirit just welled that up in us and it was beautiful. Will we walk by the flesh or will we walk by the Spirit? By the Spirit leads to supernatural unity that can't be explained by human understanding. Walking by the flesh will lead to pride. Walking by the Spirit will lead to prayer. You know, in, in the flesh, the best thing we can come up with to do as churches is marketing and branding strategies. Let's come up with a tagline for our church. Doolin's Grove, making Christianity great again. Let's get static clings with Doolin's Grove on them and put them on the backs of our cars. Let's get t-shirts with Doolin's Groves on them. Let's get big flags with Doolin's Grove on them. Let's promote Doolin's Grove. What else? I mean, walking in the flesh, what can we do other than just try to market people to get in here and boost our numbers? Walking in the Spirit leads to humble, prayerful dependence upon the Spirit of God to do what only the Spirit of God can do. Save souls. 
sanctify people, change hearts. You know, no, I'm reading a book right now for my class. And it's, about, it's tracing the history of different revivals and awakenings throughout the history of the church. Not a single revival or awakening began from a fresh marketing approach from a church. They all began from groups of people humbly uniting in prayer, asking for the Father to pour out the Holy Spirit on them for a fresh influx of the Spirit of God. And it came about, and it would come about all around the world in ways that seemed disconnected from a human perspective, but they weren't. They were connected because we're united with the shared Holy Spirit. Will we walk in the flesh or will we walk in the Spirit? It's the difference between hasty action as a church. You know, at the annual meeting, I shared some concerns. Well, it'd be easy just to be like, well, we're not reaching our young people. We just got to do something to reach the young people, whatever it takes. What are they into? Well, they're into looking at their phones. Well, let's just shut down the doors. We'll be online church only and we'll be an app church. Hasty action is at the end of the road of the flesh. Walking in the Spirit gives us the peace and the presence of mind to just wait on the Lord and pray. I met with the pastoral support team this week, and we talked through a bunch of ideas. I, I actually do, it would surprise you probably to know, I actually have tons of ideas of stuff that we could do. And I come up with them all the time. I sent them a while back this email with like 30 ideas saying, any of these sound good to you guys? And we talked through all these ideas, and by the end of the meeting, it seemed clear, no, let's just pray. None of these seem to be what the Spirit's telling us to do. Let's just pray. And so we just prayed for the church, and I just walked out feeling so at peace about it. And then the next day, I texting with, with not to put you on the spot, but Robert Lundy, and uh, also with Kathy Mahoney on behalf of Lucky Pallone, these two young men say, well, we want to plan a youth beach trip. And we got together to talk through what that might look like and, and what would be the purpose of such a thing as that. And, and they come up with the idea, well, let's make it about how to prepare the youth for entry into the church as adults and maybe how to go ahead and get them entering into the church. Well, that's something I've been wanting to make happen for 10 years and been struggling to do. And I've come up with all kinds of little ideas And none of them seemed to work. And wouldn't that be the way? That through prayer, the Holy Spirit would bring that desire about in some of these teens themselves and that they might lead the way into that. Something that I couldn't have planned, couldn't have programmed. Something that only the Spirit could get the glory from. Very encouraged by that. Will we walk in the flesh or will we walk in the Spirit as a church? Walking in the flesh will lead to fear and anxiety and decisions based on fear and anxiety. Walking in the Spirit will lead to divinely empowered boldness. You see boldness over and over again in Acts. And it is getting harder to be Christians in this darkened world. And it will take boldness. It will take courage. Because it's not always going to be applauded when we speak the truth. This is my last sort of off-script testimony. But I just want to, I want to share with you a personal testimony of this. You, you might read Acts and wonder, does, does the Holy Spirit still work like this? Does the Holy Spirit still give people utterance? Give people words to say in ministry? And I can tell you that he definitely does. And I, I can rejoice in the fact that I've experienced it. Since I've become a pastor, God has sent me into some, some pastoral situations that I was in no way prepared for in my flesh. 
some, some counseling situations or grief and loss situations that I was way in over my head. And on my way there, driving there, sweaty-palmed, heart-pounding, what, Father, in, in the world am I going to even do for these people? What am I going to say? I've got no clear thought in my head, just churning anxiety. And yet, when the time came, he did give me something to say that I do believe was from the Holy Spirit. He did bring to mind scripture that was pertinent just at the right moment that I hadn't thought of on my drive there when I was rehearsing things I might say. And I can share with you too, even during preaching, there have been many times when things that I struggled all week to prepare for how to say and couldn't get, he gave to me in the moment while preaching. There's been things in preparation where I felt the Spirit say, don't even worry about ironing out how you're going to say that. I'll give that to you while you're preaching. He does still do that. I know many of you have experienced, you've experienced that, that burning in your chest when you feel the Spirit is prompting you to do something that you, in your flesh, would be afraid to do, or prompting you to say something that in your flesh you'd be afraid to say. That's the Holy Spirit at work in you. He is at work in us. He does still work in these ways. So will we walk by the flesh or by the Spirit as a church? The way of the flesh leads to just obligation. I've got to support the ministries of the church. I've got to show up. The way of the Spirit results in spiritual gifted serving. Increasingly finding your place in the church. Serving faithfully and fruitfully and joyfully. The way of the flesh leads to just spiritual stagnation and apathy. You can only go through the motions so long. It just gets tiresome. The way of the Spirit leads to real sanctification, real growth, real freedom from sin, really being brought out of darkness into the light. The way of the flesh leads to just barrenness spiritually. The way of the Spirit leads to fruitfulness in ministry, eternally significant fruit. There is power in the church. The church still has the Holy Spirit. May we be a church filled with the Holy Spirit. Each and every one of us. Because the Holy Spirit is for all of us. Let's pray. Father, based on what we've seen to be true from your word, we acknowledge the fact that your Holy Spirit is alive and well in our midst and in our hearts as Christians. And so we submit to you and we ask in all humility that you would please fill us with your Holy Spirit. Stir up your spirit among us, our fellow churches in the area, across the world. Let there be true and genuine revival and awakening among your people that can only be explained by the divine power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.